Coming up on this episode of the Happy Pair Podcast. If you don't have good gut health, if your gut lining is not strong, then no matter how healthy the food you put into your body is, you're not going to be able to digest it and extract it. So if you want to get the most out of your food, you need to have good gut health. That's Megan Rossi, aka the Gut Health Doctor, and this is the Happy Pair Podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Steve. And welcome back. This is the second episode of our podcast. Thank you for all the feedback on social. Thank you to everyone who subscribed and liked. We are most grateful for your comments and interaction. We are so excited about this project. This is a podcast in partnership with SuperValue, and it's really to help push the parameters of health and redefine health in practical, tangible, everyday actions that you can do to become a better version of yourself. This week, we've got an episode with the great Megan Rossi, aka the Good Health Doctor. We cover lots of practical tips in terms of how to take your good health to the next level, how it's important for your immune system, your mental health, how it's, it's a community in your gut. And the bit that I loved most was how to think of your microbiome as in the collection of bacteria in your gut, like a little pet that needs feeding, needs nurturing, and something that we really need to look after because they will look after us. This was great. Megan's a very inspiring woman. I'm glad to say she's a friend who we've hung out with a number of times, and I think there's loads of great takeaways in here. So we give you the great Megan Rossi. Welcome aboard. Let's have some fun. Okay, you ready? Everyone ready? Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard. We have the incredible guest, Megan Rossi. Yay! God, what an introduction. That was good. I, I could have probably put a bit more energy in it. I think I was a little late. We could do it again. No, no, that was great. Okay, happy that. Okay. okay, welcome aboard, Megan. We're going to start off with two cheesy questions. So... If you were to describe yourself as a fruit or vegetable, what would it be and why? And just to give you a bit of context, <coughs> so we asked Joe Wicks that question. And he said he would be a banana because he's versatile. He goes with most fruits. And he likes bright colours. And he likes bright colours and he's sweet. Whereas Stephen here, Stephen here is more of a carrot. He's earthy. He's like hardy. He's grand in the soil. And he's kind of universal. Like he's nourishing. Thanks, Dave. No problem, Steve. I'm going to go with sweet potato. Ooh. And I think because I'm loaded with these antioxidant powers <laughs> and also quite versatile, but also hardy. I can grow anywhere. I can, um, yeah, I've got, I'm quite resilient, I would say. And you like the heat. Sweet <laughs> that is, like, that sweet is a potatoes. hard question. That was good. Sweet potatoes like a bit of heat too. They don't, they, uh, you'll only get them in certain parts of Ireland, typically in the south. Well, they're hard to grow. We, grow, we grew them in the glass house one year. Okay, next question. You are allowed to invite three guests to a secret party. These don't have to be live. They can be dead. They can be live. Three people that most inspire you and they can't be your family or your husband. I think um, I would invite Obama. I mean, I just think he's so inspiring. So I would just love to know what makes him tick. Yeah, what makes him tick and like just relentless in terms of, you know, he's had so many knockbacks, but he just keeps going. I just admire that so much. Um, I think Alan... Generous, like she's hilarious. I, it's always nice to have a bit of humor. Oh, she's, um, she's really remarkably witty. Like, just sometimes you're, I'm yeah. watching bits, I'm going, How does she come up with just, yeah, I know. And, you, and you're like, Is it scripted? But it's just not because you couldn't be that scripted, like, you know, for that many years, right? And then I probably pick, I'm really inspired uh, by the work of the American Gut Research Group. Rob Knight is, is one in particular. And I'd just like to have a one-on-one with him as well. I mean, I'd have to share him, obviously, with Obama and uh, Alan, wouldn't I? But uh, just to find out more about where his head's at in terms of where this whole 
incredible world of the gut microbiota. So those trillions of organisms in our gut really is heading. Right, sounds like a good dinner party. Okay, let's get on to real things. Okay, for anyone that doesn't know you, the great Megan Rossi, what are like, you're a dietitian, you've got a PhD in good health. You're like, you're a, like a wonderful we, female role model. We described model. you as you are like just a powerful, incredible, inspiring human. Could you tell us how you have become to be this incredible human and maybe give a context of just a little bit of your backstory? Well, thank you. I'm not usually, um, you know, I'm not used to hearing sort of compliments from Irishmen as my husband is very, uh, very Irish, but also very honest and, and doesn't usually give me compliments. So thank you, firstly. Um, and then my story. So obviously you guys probably picked up on the Australian accent. So I actually grew up on a farm in Australia where good gut health was inherently, inherently like you know, just in my background. So growing up and, you know, fresh fruit and produce, playing in the dirt, all that sort of stuff. But actually my first conscious memory of the gut was when I was in my final year studying nutrition and dietetics and I lost my grandma to bowel cancer. And my my grandma was just, she was just so important in my upbringing. She had a a really big role. My mom was a single mom and things like that. So I was really close to her and it just hit me hard. I just, I hated the gut initially. And then I started working as a clinical dietitian, so in the hospital setting with all different types of sick people. And what I found, you know, just remarkable is so many of my patients, whether they had mental health issues, you know, type 2 diabetes, different types of cancers, were coming to me complaining of gut issues. And I thought, what is it about this organ that's like haunting me? And it was 2010 at the time, so not a whole lot of research um, had been done into the gut microbiota in terms of what we know now. So... I thought to myself, you know what, I, I really owe it to my grandma and to my patients to find out more about this, you know, undiscovered organ, um, so to speak. So I decided to, yeah, sign away in my early 20s to do a PhD to really try and understand whether we nourish the gut through the right nutrition, whether that in turn can improve the health of other organs. So not just the gut, but things like our mental health and our heart health and things like that. And um, yeah, fast forward the the three years, it was a positive trial and it just it really kind of revolutionized my relationship with the gut I went from completely hating it to actually having so much admiration for it and appreciating that actually it's just misunderstood if we really look after it in turn it's it'll look after us um, and then yeah I was also very fortunate actually to be the nutritionist for the Australian Olympic synchronized swimming team and that was really important, I think, for my understanding and that it, I found that the girls that had the most performance anxiety also had the most number of gut issues. So it just wasn't in this disease state where the gut was having a central role, but actually in healthy elite athletes, the gut was also very central by that gut brain communication. And that was when I was like, you know what, if I'm ever going to really help, you know, do my bit in the world um, with people's health, I'm going to really do it by the gut because it's just so powerful. So I looked around the world who was doing the most innovative health research. It was King's. So I begged them for a job and and was very fortunate enough to come over in 2015. Pretty amazing. Great story. It's beautiful. I love the fact when you said you you grew up on a farm and in the dirt and this type of thing. And I remember back a number of years ago, listening to a podcast on a friend, Rich Roll. He was interviewing this doctor called Robin Chutkan. And I remember I was always... I just find it such a compelling story where she talks about like she went through medical college and she was a microbiologist, if I remember correctly, that was really into kind of sterility, antibacteria. Her daughter was born via C-section and through her research, she realized the importance of exposing herself to more bacteria. And she, she kind of used the phrase 
live dirty, eat clean. And she kind of consciously got a pet to expose herself to more bacteria. Herself and her daughter stopped washing every day and started washing twice, three times a week. She kind of started spending more times outdoor, getting her hands in the soil. And I just found this fascinating. She almost, she used the term, I remember, rewilding. You know, that it was like trying to reconnect to nature because obviously the more bacteria. So what, what are your thoughts in terms of that? Like, obviously, I'd imagine you're similarly in line with that. What are your thoughts in terms of like cleaning the house and spraying all those sprays on the counters and the tables and all that type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if we look at the research, you can't, you know, refute the research. It shows that, um, you know, kids who grow up on farms have lower risk of allergies and things like asthma and autoimmune conditions and stuff like that. And what's so important about that is that our immune system, well, 70% of it actually lives along our nine meter digestive system, i.e. our gut. So our immune health and our gut health certainly go hand in hand. Uh, So I absolutely am a big believer in trying to, to, you know, go out to farms, you know, playing in the dirt. But then I'm also a realist and know that actually for a lot of us, we don't have access, you know, to beautiful forests just around the corner. Um, you know, me now living in London, uh, you know, it's quite hard to get a nice kind of clean but dirty place. I mean, you go to the tube and that's not sort of the environment you want to be like not washing your hands around. Um But in principle, absolutely, I think we should be trying to particularly the first three years of life is really, really important for um, the gut bacteria to really teach our kids immune system what to react to and what not to react to, to build a really healthy and balanced immune system. So those first three years, we think are really important for the kids to go out and play in, you know, clean dirt, i.e., you know, real farm dirt versus, you know, the side of a a tube station. Um, and then in terms of, I guess, yeah, absolutely at home, I think there is there is this hypothesis called the hygiene hypothesis. And that is that, you know, in today's day and age, we are using so many more disinfectants in the home. And we wonder whether that's linked with this huge increased risk in things like food allergies and autoimmune conditions in uh, the younger generation. So there certainly is that idea there. And, and mechanistically, it makes a lot of sense. So it's a tricky time to be talking about, you know, cleaning course, our hands yeah. and things like that because of COVID. So it's about looking at the acute effects. So, you know, if you are traveling in public transport, if you are going shopping, you know, you do need to wash your hands a little bit extra. But then if you're home, you know, in your own environment, you don't need to be wiping down the benches every, you know, couple of hours with disinfectant. So it's just about being, I guess, more aware of the environment you're in. And if it's a real natural environment like the forest, absolutely go play in the dirt. Um Great distinction, very wise. Good health is obviously your expertise. And I know when I was looking through your Instagram feed earlier, like you talk about eating a plant diversity and the importance of just having a diversity. And you talk about eating 30 different type of plants in a week. Like if you were to kind of summarize it to someone that's not really aware of gut health, they've heard about it, they know bits about it. What are like three or five top things that are most important to improving your gut health? Yeah, I think, you know, the first thing is, you know, touched on what exactly is gut health so because it's you know a bit of a buzzword people think oh maybe it's just another fad but actually gut health relates to the functioning of our entire nine meter digestive tract so the tube that delivers food from entry all the way to exit so that whole nine meters is related to our gut health so why gut health i think is so important for absolutely everyone and i think having an understanding of you know why it's important will then help people be more motivated to make changes whereas if you just get told it's important without understanding why it kind of you know it doesn't motivate you as much so the first reason why it's so important is because if you don't have good gut health if your gut lining is not strong then no matter how healthy the food you put into your body is you're not going to be able to digest it and extract it so if you want to get the most out of your food you need to have good gut health 
The second one I touched on is that 70% of our immune system actually lives along that nine meter digestive tract. So the gut health and our immune system go hand in hand and we won't get into it now, but there's some amazing research coming out around gut health and COVID risk. So um, the studies initially have shown that people who have better gut health, if they do get COVID, they have a lower risk of becoming severely unwell. Um, and then we also see that with cold and flu and things like that. And then the third element is really that along that nine meters lives those trillions of microorganisms, mostly the bacteria. And it's these bacteria that produce so many different hormones and vitamins. They talk to our brain, every other organ, and are just so, so central. So like you said, the, the key about the diversity, the plant-based diversity comes in that, you know, these, like it's like a little inner community, are so reliant on what we feed it. So we essentially shape it. We've got so much control over it. And like us, each different type of bacteria actually has different taste buds. And that's why this concept of diversity is coming through the science. Because if you just have heaps of healthy food, but stick it to just broccoli and cauliflower, then you're only going to be growing the type of bacteria that like broccoli and cauliflower, which is not all of them. They've got different taste preferences. So that's where the 30 comes in. So the research has shown that people who have 30 different types of plants across the week seem to have better gut health than those who eat the same sorts of foods over and over again. Um, and I think the 30, it's important to highlight, it's not just fruit and veg, it's actually from all six plant-based food groups. So you've got your whole grains, your nuts and seeds, your fruit, your veg, and your beans and pulses and herbs and spices. I remember hearing the idea that we have 100 trillion uh, back, or let me see, we have 10 trillion human cells and 100 trillion bacteria. So we're approximately more host to our bacteria and more subject to the health of our bacteria. We're almost like... Uh, we tend to see ourselves as that's Megan, I'm looking at Megan and I'm Stephen. But in essence, I'm a, the relationship of millions and millions and billions of microorganisms working together to make up this thing that's called me. Is this true? Yeah, no, it, it is absolutely fascinating. And that's why my relationship with the gut changed so much because I think when we don't understand things, we can kind of get frustrated with it. We can, um, we can kind of get even scared by it that there's these things in us are doing different things and we can't control them but actually once we start to understand that actually they want us to thrive because if we thrive on the outside human cells they will thrive on the inside and you're absolutely right the the research has shown we are more microorganism i.e more bacteria than we are human now i mean the science the ratios has changed a little bit we're probably not as much bacteria as we thought but in terms of the you know overall the concept is the same we are more bacteria than we are human so these little things within us, whether you want to think of it as your inner powers, your inner potential, your little Tamagotchi, maybe a pet, um, you know, they, they want to look after us. But in turn, we have to respect them and look after them. And, and how we look after them is, you know, not being super stressed because if we're stressed, that stresses them out, getting the sleep in moving outdoors you know collecting new microbes in the forest but also moving your body it helps kind of exercise the microbes in a way and then also getting in as many different types of plants to really nourish them if you do those four things you know you really are going to have a happy microbiota uh, so there's trillions of that little community and in turn it's been shown in action 
actual clinical trials that can prove things like our mental health. So uh, it's certainly worth investing in them. Well, they, they sound so linked, like, you know, gut health, like what you've described there, what's really important for my gut health is also really the pillars for general health as well. So they seem so like correlated, you know, gut health and overall health and bacterial health, you know, and well-being. Yeah, absolutely. It's like it's a landmark scientific discovery in terms of a new understanding of how, you know, food and nutrition and lifestyle really impacts our overall health. You know, we've known that people who are less stressed, exercise more, eat more, you know, plant-based foods seem to live longer and be healthier, but we've never really understood the full mechanisms of it. And essentially the bacteria, understanding them, has uncovered the science for it. And you know, the messages haven't really changed. We've always known we should be doing those things. But, you know, if you're like me, understanding the mechanisms really helps motivate me. And I go, oh, okay, now I understand why, you know, it's good to not just, you know, eat the the carrots every day, but to mix things up because I've got this little pet inside me and I want it to be as happy as it can be. You know, you know, obviously you guys um, had uh, wives who were pregnant at one stage and all of a sudden, you know, the wives become really like, oh my God, I need to, I need to look at my nutrition. I can't be stressed. I need to really focus on it because you have something else to look after. Um, it's just that human kind of nature. We sometimes neglect our own needs, but if we've got something else to look after, we really will, you know, work extra uh, or be extra careful to kind of prioritize um, their health. And I think that's kind of really what we're seeing with the microbiota. It really helps motivate people to go, okay, maybe it's not just about me. It's about this little community and I want to look after them. Very good point. So, so okay, so if I'm, if I'm new to gut health and I've heard these buzzwords and I've kind of, I've read a few little articles on it and in, to summarize just, so eat more fruit and veg to try to get, try to get 30 different types of fruit and veg, really prioritize sleep kind of helps um, encourage my bacteria, my healthy bacteria and therefore my gut and my immune system. Uh, you said exercise is really important for my inner Tamagotchi and my inner I like that idea my inner little beings or whatever it is and then the other one you said was getting out into nature I guess because and avoiding stress those those are the main things for my gut health is that is did I summarize did I get that right yeah no no you did a really good job but with the 30 I think because people get really intimidated and think oh my god I can't even get my five fruit and veg in a day let alone 30 but remember the 30 comes from all your six plant-based food groups so not just your fruit and veg and also the concept that we're seeing is it's not about excluding foods and cutting out foods. It's more about being inclusive. So, you know, you don't actually need to go uh, 100% plant-based to have good gut health. The research has shown that you can be an omnivore, so still eat some animal foods and still have brilliant gut health. It's more about what you're adding in. Uh, so it's about inclusion rather than exclusion. Yeah, I think, I think, I think that's a great attitude because often um, we'll have, and it, it kind of came up recently with a friend who was very kind of thinking cake was unhealthy. And I was kind of saying, well, I think like some, you sitting down eating kale with stress going, I fucking hate kale, excuse me, uh, using that word. But, <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't like kale and the idea of eating kale is quite stressful to me. Whereas sitting having a small bit of cake with friends, with laughter, joy, sense of celebration, that can be very healthy in itself because joy, exuberance, a sense of celebration can equally be as healthy. That it's not necessarily what, as much all the time what we eat. It's also the environment with which and the intention behind how we eat it. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, it's like slipping in, which you guys do really great jobs of, yeah, having cake. But, hey, why don't you slip in some beach fruit in there? Because 
gut bacteria love beetroot and you love, you know, the flour and the sugar elements of it. So, you know, it's about combining your taste buds kind of requirements or preferences with your microbes. So, you know, each meal just think, okay, I'm going to have my treat foods here, but what else is on my plate that can feed my microbes? Hey, what's in there that's plants that they'll really enjoy? So it's like, you know, whenever you're eating, you should feed them. Okay, just to move slightly off gut health now. So you're, you have an incredible business. You've just started your, you know, you've got your granolas, you've got your books, you've got your, you know, your work as a dietitian and gut health doctor. You're now pregnant. You're a wife. You're juggling multiple things. You're like your uh, Sheryl Sandberg type character. And I'm wondering, how do you juggle all this and how do you manage your own stress, your own mental health, your own well-being, your own gut bugs? Because that's a lot of, you know, balls to be juggling. You know what? I, um, I am just, I think, so passionate about what I do that I don't think... It, I don't think of it as work. Do you know what I mean? I um, so it doesn't feel like oh my god, I've got to go to work. You know, six or seven days a week. I'm just, I just am so passionate about getting the message out there that actually we are so much more in control of our health and happiness than we historically thought, and it's small little changes that can make such a difference. So. I think one of the keys is that I don't feel like I'm working. I don't feel sorry for myself if I'm, you know, on a Sunday writing blogs and, and doing, you know, patient notes and all that sort of stuff. Um, and, you know, I guess in terms of my mental health, I'm very quite strict on my morning routine. So I always start with some mindfulness, so 10 minutes of mindfulness in the morning. And I just find it really, it just really grounds me um, and, what is, and know, also when, my gut. <laughs> when you say mindfulness, what, like I've never really done, I've done meditation loads of times, but mindfulness, do I have to put on something to listen to or what, is it the same kind of thing as meditation? I don't really always know the distinction. Yeah, I mean, you know, we can get into all the specifics of the, you know, mindfulness is more about being present with your environment, whereas meditation, you're getting into like a deeper level. But I, you know, I'm not a guru there, so I'm not going to go into that detail. But I, I guess personally, just sit and do um, breathing exercises and, and do visualization of like something coming down into my head and like floating and feeling in my gut. Um, and those sorts of uh, techniques that I've learned from psychologists that I've worked with on, on Eat Yourself Healthy. Um, so I've just found them really personally useful. What I recommend to my clients who, who don't know how to start is using something like Headspace or Calm apps where they have like 10 minute a recording. So you can just listen to it and it guides you. So if you feel a bit like, oh, I have no idea what I'm doing. I mean, those guided apps are the best thing and they've got like, you know, two week free trials and stuff like that. So always just try them and see if you don't mind their voice. Some people complain about the voices of them, but um, that sort of thing I think is, is really helpful. And then I do uh, my 10 minute uh, yoga flow. Um, so again, that just physically gets me stretched and that actually um, is from a collab that I work. You guys know Richie Norton, don't you? Yeah, yeah, Richie's dead. Um, the, yeah, so I, for my book, Eat Yourself Healthy, I, there's this amazing study with people who have issues, so IBS essentially, um, and it showed that um, doing the gut-directed yoga flow for 12 weeks actually had the same impact on people's improvement in their symptoms as, you know, that medical diet, the low format diet. Again, you guys know about that. So it was highlighting that actually it's not always a solution of diet and restriction for people with IBS. Things like relaxing the gut-brain axis through the gut-directed yoga flow can really help. So I sent him the protocol they use in the clinical trial and said, Richie, I need you to translate this for my book and put it into something people can use. So he's developed this um, gut direct yoga flow, which is just so easy and definitely something I, uh, yeah, highly recommend. So I do that for 10 minutes. And then 
I take my puppy for a walk for about pistachio. half an hour, and then we both pistachio. Yeah, yeah. I remember. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm slightly obsessed with him. And then we have a little bit of kefir breakfast, and then work is on. So I guess for me, having this kind of um, sacred morning routine helps get me in that frame of mind to be like, yeah, let's go get it. But I mean, everyone is different. It's about what you know works for you. But taking that time, I think, and, and scheduling it no matter how busy you are, I think is really key to keeping uh, you kind of in the right frame of mind and, you know, healthy and happy, essentially. Yeah, it sounds lovely. Sounds like a nice morning. I guess when you, uh, when your baby comes, that'll be a challenge <laughs> of doing your morning routine. Every, everyone's like, yeah. yeah. I think you're really going to have an Megan. yourself, Megan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wait till you get a baby. Uh, I, I've always been really curious about the education system. And this is kind of more, again, like just if I was to grant you a wish and you were the, the head of the government for the education system whether it be australia or the uk what's one thing that you would do that would have a huge impact on the system at large or is there one thing that you could think of (laughs) or ireland Ireland, yeah you know you know what i um i am actually really passionate about trying to get into policy change because i just i hate sitting back and just complaining about things not being done you know i just want to go and like okay this isn't working out so i feel like i need to take action so, I mean, if I have, have my way one day, um, I will I will be more involved with that side of things. Cause it's just, I think it's just so important. But I think if I just had one thing, it would be getting the kind of the concept um, of knowing that we've got this inner community, this like inner pet in us, into the curriculum, school curriculum early on. So letting little kids know that they've got this little, you know, pet inside them to nourish. And I've seen, you know, that works so well with not just my nephew, but heaps of my friends' kids where you explain it to them that they've got a little pet inside them that you need to feed. And even if they don't really like their broccoli, their pet really likes it. So you just have to have a little bit. And over time, as you know, the taste buds really evolve and the kids then start to actually, you know, not mind broccoli. And I'm sure, you know, with your kids, they've they've been exposed to all those sorts of uh, cruciferous veg that maybe historically kids of the taste buds don't don't really like because it's too bitter but they adapt to it I mean we all adapt to we now love coffee I used to hate coffee as a kid and and alcohol and wine and all that sort of stuff so our taste buds really adapt we just need to get that into them and like get the kids motivated um early on so that would be that's my a one br- that's a brilliant answer i really value that and i think that's a great one that even i'll like i just think it's a great concept the idea of having a pet inside you and that you're not necessarily eating for yourself but you're eating for your pet and that pet will really dictate your own health so I think that's a wonderful yeah, analogy. Or the community. I like the community one as well. Yeah. Okay, a couple of questions. Can you give us a quick story of someone that you've helped, which has made, like, it's had a big impact on their, you know, it's, it's really changed their whole life, like when you've kind of helped them with their good health. Do you have like a quick highlight story of someone that, just to make it kind of translate? Real, it, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. And I'm, I'm very passionate, I think, about sharing, you know, real life stories because it does help people then relate not this distant thing. And um, in my book, not that I'm trying to push it, but if people want to hear more about the stories, eat yourself healthy, there is all different patient stories over my decade of beautiful book that I've well. shared. Really beautiful book. I, really, really, I have it at home. It's gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. One of my, uh, one of my patients in particular who I, you know, remember so much, um, you know, he was a young guy and had, had depression and, um, you know, was on antidepressants and, you know, it was about to go to a high level of antidepressants because they just weren't working the combination um, that he'd been prescribed. Um, and then he read about just literally, literally 
it sounds hilarious, but in the doctor's waiting room, when he was going in for his review, he read a blog that I'd written about this trial called the SMILES trial. And it's an amazing one. They showed nourishing the gut through, you know, a Mediterranean diet full of fiber and plant and all those goodness and bacteria love. Um, and those people who had that diet actually had a significant improvement in their mental health scores. And these people who had it were actually moderate severely depressed. And after the 12 weeks, I think 33% of them had a significant improvement in their depression scores, which no longer classified them as clinically depressed. So really amazing. So I'd written about that. He'd read it. And then he found himself in my office, I was in my clinic at the gut health clinic. And um, yeah, so we, he said to me, look, I want you to do this to me. And I thought, this is a dream. Someone who actually wants to like replicate a clinical trial with me. It's like amazing. So we went through, I mean, it wasn't easy. He was having, you know, heaps of fast foods and, you know, wasn't doing much cooking and stuff like that. So it was a lot of behavior change. You know, I had to call him once a week and just check in and, you know, he, he struggled, you know, a little bit as you would going from a very highly processed diet to moving more into Mediterranean style eating. But over the four months, um, you know, we got him there and he just, his body language and his face, he was just so much. And, you know, over time, after the four months, we then worked with his um, psychiatrist and actually he reduced his antidepressant load. Um, and about a year ago, he emailed me and said, look, I'm not on any antidepressants anymore and I'm feeling so good. So, yeah, that's one story. But, I mean, depression is super complex. So some people need stand medications, which is absolutely fine. But diet certainly can have an additional role. Amazing, amazing. Okay, quick rapid-fire question. What are, like, you know, you see a huge amount of people with good health issues. What are the two biggest kind of things, the two biggest things that people, if they could make kind of changes, move towards the positive version of that, what are the two biggest kind of barriers to good health that you see? Yeah, I think, you know, it comes down to what are the key symptoms. And I, I think um, bloating is a huge one people struggle with. And, you know, a very simple, quick tip that actually really can work, and there's been clinical trials to show that, is just chewing your food well. I mean, so many of us, and I'm certainly guilty of that, you know, scoffing down our food at our computer uh, or, you know, in between scrolling Instagram and we're not really engaging with our food. And the thing is, digestion actually begins in our mouth. We not only start to physically break down the food, but we've got chemicals in our saliva, uh, which start to chemically, so the, the enzymes start to, you know, chemically break down the... Um, good catch. The, the, yeah, good Very catch good again. catch. Um, good reflexes. <laughs> Uh, start to actually break down the food. So if we're not chewing up food well, we're already on the back burner in terms of how good our digestion um, is going to be. So chewing your food, you know, it obviously depends what it is, but at least, you know, 15 times, um, you know, for some things like nuts, you know, try to do them like 30, maybe 40 times, really can help digestion and lower uh, your risk of, you know, getting really excessive bloating. Um, and then the other thing for bloating is having small frequent meals rather than just loading up all your food at once, kind of giving your digestion um, more time to, to kind of handle it by packaging it, you know, in five smaller meals a day uh, rather than having three really large ones. So that's the bloating. Um, and then I would say for constipation, again, another big one. Here's an amazing stat for you. So, you know, the, the um, NHS spends around 170 million pounds every year on managing constipation. It's just remarkable. There is like 200,000 visits to a GP every single week uh, 
related to constipation. I mean, so many people are struggling with it, but people just, you know, it's one of those things. And, no and one really wants things, to talk about it. What is something that if someone is listening and does suffer with constipation, what are kind of a couple of, is there any kind of quick things that they could do? Yeah, look, again, I don't want to be um, pushing Eat Yourself Healthy, but the reason I, I wrote Eat Yourself Healthy is because everyone's gut health is different. So yeah, for some people, they're not having enough fluid and fiber, but other people with constipation, they, they're having plenty of that and adding more fiber in would just make them more constipated. So I've got these personalized flow diagrams in there, which talks people through kind of what I would do in clinical practice. So first, the obvious uh, fluid and fiber, are you having enough? Um, we then look at the type of fiber and a fiber which is shown to be really helpful in constipation is called psyllium husk. Uh, so I definitely recommend people try having, you know, starting off with maybe a tablespoon of that sprinkle on your breakfast. It can get quite thick, but it's like an amazing fiber that really softens your stools. Um, also having two kiwi fruit a day has been shown in a clinical trial to really help. Uh, there is a specific type of probiotic. Um, and then other things in terms of your positioning on the toilet. So again, I talk people through a lot of people are not pooping in the right position and therefore actually their um, pelvic floor muscles are kind of blocking the poop from coming out. So the Western toilet, how it's designed is not helpful for how like our bodies should be pooping. We should actually be squatting. So we talk about that and then also moving your body and also pooping anxiety. So I think particularly in, in lockdown when people are all living with their housemates, you know, there is a lot of pooping anxiety. No one really wants to poop with pooping someone they know standing the outside. Poop sounds much better than pooing or anything like yeah, that. Like yeah. pooping just I mean, sounds pooping. It sounds a bit better. <laughs> I always yeah. called it pooping. Yeah, yeah I mean it's good. slightly less gross, isn't it? Um, so again, being conscious of the different anxieties that come into that and kind of relaxing that gut brain axis and doing a poop puree sort of uh, concoction so it doesn't smell. You spray it in the bowl and that in you know before you go, all that sort of stuff. So there's so many different strategies. The the concept is that each different one will work for different people they've all got evidence behind them but you need to find you know in the flow diagram which kind of issue you're having because constipation there's it's just so heterogeneous there's so many different reasons why people get constipated because it seems to be such a stigma like it's like talking about like people don't like it's like talking about sex or do you have sex or how many times a week do you have sex or whatever whereas pooping i think is something similar that people don't like talking about yet i think it's as you 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 are trying to normalize discussions about pooping how is it like obviously it's not something that you talk to someone that you don't know very well but i think it's so indicative of our health and our mental health and so many aspects of different things and what are your thoughts on that and how we can try to normalize it yeah no absolutely i mean it's certainly something we're not going to start raising at the dinner table i'm certainly not an advocate for that but checking with your poop a couple of times a month is actually just really helpful to give you more insight to your health because it gives you like a little parcel of you know what's going inside what are your microbes doing um so i definitely think we should be you know checking with our poop and not being grossed out by it because every single one if you're not pooping there is seriously something wrong does it so it's one of those things where I think you know Instagram has really helped where people are starting to you know be that little bit more open you know checking in there's a Bristol stool chart you guys can google and there's the seven different types and you can identify which type you are Um, and then also the frequency so knowing how frequently how typically you open your bowels so what we consider normal is opening your bowels um, a maximum of three times a day and a minimum of three times a week so 
if you're in that category of up to three times a day and at least three times a week, then you're classified as normal. Now, if it's you're going more than three times a day or less than three times a week, there's probably something more uh, to investigate. So always go to your GP. And then I talk about the strategies of each side of that. If your GP says, look, it's not, a, you know, you don't have, you know, any sort of, um, you know, autoimmune condition or, uh, you know, you don't have any cancers or anything like that, then you look at more of the functionality. So maybe you've just got a really active and sensitive gut and things like that. Yeah, brilliant. Very good. I really admire your openness to discuss a topic that for so many is uncomfortable. Um, Megan, you've just released Granola and it looks fabulous and I see it's in Waitrose and it's, 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 you've kind of um, prebiotics in it. Can you tell us a little about your Granola? Because it, it sounds fabulous. Yeah, so I mean, this has just been such a passion point of, of trying to get into the food industry because, you know, at heart I'll always be a researcher. But then I decided to move into public engagement just because out of frustration, I guess, that despite the amazing work that was coming out about the gut, it just wasn't being translated into food industry and to the general public. You know, the media headlines were all, you know, so fatty and about restricting. And in my clinic, I was seeing people who were like on all these crazy supplements and thinking they had to do that to have good gut health. So that's kind of why I started to work more in like the public engagement and then had heaps of opportunities with um, food companies uh, some really big ones. And I thought, oh my God, this is amazing. This is how, you know, I can really help, you know, tr- make that, help people make that transition because we're all busy. We don't have time to all make our own granola and breakfast cereals, etc. But, you know, a lot of them, as you guys know, they just wanted me to brand slap and I couldn't actually change any of the ingredients. I know, you know, I couldn't be hypocrite. I couldn't look my followers in the eye and be like, hey, have this cereal when it's just completely not good for you. Um, so I thought, you know what, my mom was always right. If you want something done, go and do it yourself. So I, um, yeah, set up the gut health doctor with my co-founder who's super experienced in the food department in terms of like the manufacturing and all that sort of businessy side that I've got no idea about. Um, so really just you know, delivering the science in a food product that's really convenient, also really tasty. So it actually includes in each and every bowl um, of our granola, muesli and porridge, we've got the 15 different types of plant-based ingredients in there. Um, so it's a concept of delicious diversity. So even though we've got, you know, legumes and veg snuck in there, it still tastes super, super delicious. So, you know, my husband, who uh, is not very into plants, um, you know, has it every morning for breakfast and doesn't even know because it just it's just so, yeah, it's so tasty and sweet. It's got no added sugar. We've added in specific fibres that feed the gut bacteria. Um, yeah, and it's available in, in Ireland now. It's super value. Woo-hoo! What's it called again, yeah. Megan? It's called like Bio, Bio and Me. Bio and Me. Yeah, brilliant. And is there one type or two types or three types or...? Uh, we've now got about 10 different types. So we started off with granola. Um, so no added sugar, high fiber, prebiotic granola. Um, and we've just launched, in, well, launching a gen muesli and porridge and there's all different flavors within them. Jeez, go oh Megan. Okay, brilliant. Okay, last couple of questions. Three new foods in that you'd recommend listeners to try in 2021. I think, you know, to the keeping to the principle of diversity, there is no like superfood, but I would say a super category that isn't getting enough attention is legumes, your beans and your pulses. And they are just so versatile. You don't need to, you know, boil them and soak them and spend all that time. Obviously that's slightly cheaper, but you know, the cans, you can get them for like ADP um, and, you know, you rinse them and whatever you're having for dinner, whether it's a stir fry, an omelet, a pizza, you literally can just add in legumes and our microbes, a bacteria love legumes. They've got all those prebiotics, which is a 
fancy word of special food that feeds the gut bacteria. So I think people trying to get into having a bit more legumes in their diet is just, you know, a very smart choice. You don't need to cut out the meat. It's just like if you're having a, a lasagna or a bolognese, you just take out a third of the mint and add in a can of, of legumes, whether it's your lentils or your butter beans or any of them. They're just all of them are so versatile. Try and mix it up. So I think legumes are certainly an underrated one. Um, three, the other one, I think me personally, I never was really that into to seeds. I was just like, nah, it kind of tastes like bird food. But actually, if you um, toast them in the oven for literally or even in the fry pan for like three minutes and add a little bit of um, soy sauce or a little bit of sea salt and rosemary, it actually brings out so much of the flavor and it's super crunchy. So I know I have that as a regular snack. So I think having, yeah, kind of re-exploring and, and giving some extra time to seeds. I think, again, not just, type, you know, one type of seed, but getting the, the multi-seed uh, mixes. They've got usually like four different types in them um, to feed more different gut bacteria, but also your taste buds. Um, and then the third one, if you're not into making a cereal at home, try my uh, gut-loving granolas and porridges and muesli. <laughs> uh, well, well, thanks, Anil, Megan. You're amazing. You really are. Thanks so much for sharing your wisdom. I we, think we can't write to try your granolas. Really yeah. looking forward to them. Yeah. So. And congratulations. Your book is beautiful. So for anyone, please check out Megan on Instagram. Check out her book. Check out her products. They're available in Super Value and in the UK and Waitrose and lots of supermarkets, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's coming to a very big one in January too. I don't think I'm legally allowed to announce that. But yeah, no, it's super. I'm super excited. But, you know, you guys know I'm a huge fan of everything you're doing and your message as well. So cheers, Megan. Thanks, Megan. Megan. Looking forward to seeing you soon. See you guys. Cheers. Bye. I hope you really enjoyed that. I learned a huge amount there in terms of gut health. I particularly loved a bit about communities, thinking of your gut as your community and almost like having a pet in your stomach that needs feeding. Yeah, little Tamagotchi, I really love that. Uh, thanks, Mel, for listening to our podcast, Partnership with Super Value. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as we did. And stick around. Next week, we're going to have a wonderful guest again. We're going to be talking with the wonderful performance psychologist, Jerry Hussey, exploring how you can become a better version of yourself. Yeah, it really is inspiring talk. So thanks again. Dave and Steve here, over and out.